Lord's house together again today, and and um, we have been blessed with a uh, rather mild winter, and I think we're going to get a little bit of that winter this week, it looks like, and it's coming at us. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to meet this morning. Mark chapter number 12, as we continue our journey uh, to the cross, <clears throat> we come to this text of Scripture beginning in verse 28 through verse 37, and Jesus is going to be asked another question. Uh, this question, I want you to notice as we read it together in just a moment, it strikes a different tone than the previous questions. Uh, the previous questions were adversarial. They were questions they were trying and designed to trip him up. This question doesn't have the same tone, and I want you to hear it <clears throat> as we read it together. And so if you found your place, let's stand together in honor of the Word of God. <clears throat> And we'll begin reading in verse number 28. And one of the scribes, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul... And to love the neighbor as himself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemy thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord, whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to add your blessing uh, to the reading of the word of God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive uh, what you have laid before us this morning. Lord, may we not be just hearers of the word, but Lord, may we be uh, obedient to the word of God. Father, may it do a transforming work within us. We'll praise you for your word and the work it's doing already. In your precious name, amen. You can be seated there if you would. <clears throat> so we come to this text of scripture that the greatest commandment is to love God and love our neighbor. To love God and love our neighbor. Now, just for the record, this wasn't scheduled for Valentine's Day on purpose, all right? That's not why we picked this one, but it happened to fall on this Sunday. That the greatest commandment would be to love God and love our neighbor. In June 25th of 1967, uh, the Our World television show was the first satellite uplink in 25 different countries at the same time. Some of you may remember this. It was in a time of great unrest in the world and war and confusion that raged. 
and the Beatles were chosen to represent Great Britain. And John Lennon wrote just a few weeks before the broadcast the words to the song, All We Need Is Love. And now you have that stuck in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. So um, I did that on purpose. Um, I refrained from playing a clip for you because I didn't want to do more damage than just that. Not much has changed in the cry of the world in the last 50 years. The world is still saying the same thing. The answer to our problems is just we need to love more. If we could just love more people and love each other better, then everything's going to be okay and all our problems go away. We still look to love as the savior of the world. Yet somehow our definition of love becomes more and more like selfishness rather than selflessness. It seems to pour away from what the scripture would call love. And we walk away from it time and time again. When we come to our text this morning, we see this scribe coming to Jesus and asking a question. Now this question may seem a bit odd to us when he asks, what's the greatest commandment? He's not asking, can you go through all the list of the law and pick out which one you think is the best? But he's asking actually from two schools of thought, is it the ceremonial law or is it the moral law that is the more important? And even the Ten Commandments are broken up into two ways, and we'll see that in just a minute here. But he's asking this question, and it was actually a debate that was raging among the, the scholars of their day of which one is more important. And of course, Jesus answers a very uh, straightforward way, and we're going to see that. This uh, is a common verse that Jesus is going to use. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It was such a common verse that many of the, the Pharisees would carry that around in a little scroll on their forehead and keep it between their eyes to be reminded of that statement. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Um, this question comes directly to Jesus. And I, I want you to see, again, the tone of the question. It's a worthy question. He's listening to Jesus answer, and he said, now, you know, look, I just got done hearing you answer about whether we should give tribute to Caesar or not, and, and then about the resurrection, and then and we've talked about these different questions, and then where do you get your authority, and all these questions. You've handled them so well, and it's, it's almost kind of like the scribe stands up and says, you know, so far you've got an A+. And he's kind of grading the Lord on his answers. And he said, you've answered well, and he said, so I, I have a question for you, and I think this is a very genuine question. The question in its tone is different now. It is not a trap built, to, built into the asking. I think there's a genuine desire in this man's heart to learn and obey at this point. He's ready to do what he's been given to do if he could just have the information in front of him. He has heard the question and answers and now he asks them, what is the most important law that we're supposed to obey? What's the most important commandment? What's he asking? What is the will of God? What is the duty of man? What should I do about it? And he wants to know this. He wants to get to the root of it. And of course, Jesus answers very candidly with him. Because there is no evil intention in his question, there is no carefulness in Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't look at him and say, well, you know, that's a good question. If I'll answer that question if you'll answer this one. He's already used that. Uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't sidestep the question by, show me his penny, and, and, and then point out the authority of Caesar and the authority of God and separate the argument out. But he answers the question very directly, and he goes right at the question. 
And he says, this commandment that I'm going to give you, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy understanding. Everything should be put there together in this. And this is a quotation from Deuteronomy 6. It was found in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 5 tells them to love the Lord thy God with all their heart. Bernard said that the measure of love of God is to love God without measure. It's to pour our hearts out before him, that there is no limit to the love that we should pour out to God. There is no boundaries to that love. And then as we're reading this, Jesus says, and the second is like, namely this, and it's almost like, and this one's for free. You didn't ask for this one, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And he stops with, he doesn't stop with just the answer to the question, but he goes beyond it. And he said, and also you should love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quotation from Leviticus 19. That you're to love God and love your neighbor, and these are the greatest commandments. You know, if we think of this, with those two things intact, in what prohibition in the law would be broken? If we truly loved God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and we loved our neighbors ourselves, what rule would be broken? What thing would be left out of our lives that we did not fulfill if we truly loved in this way? And and really, it's an all-encompassing statement here. And when we look at the law, we see that the first five commandments on the big ten, the ten commandments, the first five address the love of God and our relationship with God. And the second five, they address the love of neighbor. And both are pointing to this. And so Jesus comes to this with a very direct answer. The law is trying to reveal to us our call to love God and to love our brothers. I mean, are these not the first two crimes that were committed by humans? To cease to love God and to cease to love our neighbor? I mean, you think of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They take of the fruit, and what are they doing? They're denying a love for God. They're not honoring God. They do a love for themselves. They take to themselves what they want. And then what do we see? After a love for God is rejected, then Cain looks at his brother and strikes him and kills him. And there's not a love for neighbor. And for the last... 6,000 plus years of human history, man is walking around trying to absolve himself of these two laws. And man is walking around going, yea, hath God said, and am I my brother's keeper? And we've been saying this all along because we don't want to have to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we don't want to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's just too inconvenient. It doesn't fit in my schedule. And it is a struggle that man is struggling with this. You know, and we, we think of the idea of love and we, we get a little nice warm and fuzzy, right? And we get this idea that love is somehow this cute little, you know, teddy bear that you put with a heart on it. And if men, you bought that for your wives, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's not love. Uh, and it represents the idea of what we're trying to get at here. But when we, you, you think of the, the love chapter in the Bible, charity, uh, the charity chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13, and we can almost like, well, let's read this at a wedding. And we read it at weddings, and we read it at different times, and, and it tells us what love does, and love suffers long and is kind. But ultimately, when you lead to these things, they're really a hammer of, and this is not what you do, and this is not what you do, and this is not what you do. Because love doesn't hold a grudge. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love is forgiving and Love is these things, and so often we fall very, very short of what the Scripture describes love to be. How many sects would be driven, sectarian would be driven away if unforgiveness was done away with and bitterness was done away with because we kept these rules? 
to love God and love our neighbor. At, at least we would acknowledge the fact that these things are wrong and we must, that we are not in accordance with God's command to love God. And we're not in accordance with the nature of Christ when we don't love our neighbor. And so Jesus says to them, and we're looking here, he says, um, he said in verse number 31, there is no other commandment greater than these. These are the greatest commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, this is often mentioned, and I, I think this is where we go wrong. We mention this of saying, you know, God just wants us to love one another. And so, you know, not, nothing matters, just love people. Now, how many of you, we're sitting here this morning, like, well, yeah, pastor, we should love people. I mean, how many would say amen to that? All right. A few of you would. The rest of you, you're not so sure. But that's okay. Uh, hopefully by the end of it, I'll get you there that you should love people, all right? In case you're wondering, it's okay. Um, but, you know, we, we get there and we're like, yeah, okay, I get it. We should love people. We should be kind to people. God wants us to love. And, and, but I think what we do is we see this, uh, we mention that God just wants us to love people as a mitigation or a way to reduce what the commandments are calling us to. Well, you know, God's not concerned about my sex life. He just wants me to love people. God's not concerned, uh, you know, uh, about what I spend my money on. He just wants us to love people. And we make love this really fuzzy thing that we're not really getting clear on. Well, you know, God's not worried what I do with my life or what I do with my time. He just wants me to love people. And so then we join the Beatles and we sing, all we need is love. And we find ourselves right back where we were in a secular understanding of love. You see, this kind of love is not a self-sacrificial love, a life-yielding love that is motivated by Scripture and the God of Scripture. But it is, it is a love that says, I can do as I please as long as I call it love. And so I can do whatever I want to do, I can be whatever I want to be, and all I have to do when I get done producing what I want things to be, I just stamp the word love on it, and now I'm good. Because you can't mess with that word. And we worship the idea of love, but we never have gotten down to the root of it. And so today we make little attempt to even hide our cult of self-love. We pursue books that tell us how to love ourselves more. I promise you this, there has never been a kid born that had to be taught to love themselves. And, and the reason why is they, they learned it from their parents. Self-love comes so naturally to a fallen man. It is counterintuitive to love your neighbor as yourself. That's something that is totally alien to our nature. It doesn't even make sense to our fallen nature. We worship at the cult of self-love, and we dare anyone to defy us or set boundaries on what we call love. Now, Christ, and I want you to see this, Christ is not reducing the law down to a golden rule, but he is revealing the central truth of it all. And what is the central truth of everything that the law was pointing to? God is one, and he is worthy and deserving of all that you feel, think, do, and are, and this same God wants you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When God says love with all your heart, your soul, and mind, all is not a romantic sentiment, but a holy standard. When you stand before God, and I stand before God, if we look at this standard, he will ask us, did you love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and did you love your neighbor as yourself? 
all the time, everywhere, every chance. And can we say, all we need is love? We would stand going, wow, all the time? Everywhere? So this focus of the law, this is the focus of the law, yet we cannot see this as a reduction of the Old Testament, but rather as the explosion of the implication of the Old Testament to all areas of our lives. You see, they were trying to do their best to hide behind narrow interpretations of the law so that the law never got to what it was trying to do in the first place. They were hiding behind it. We've seen this already in our study of Mark. But in Mark 10, they come to the, the bill of divorcement. And it was a, 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 it was a letter of the law that they had interpreted and were writing that basically they could write out a bill of divorcement for any reason at any time. If you just didn't like your wife anymore, you could give her a bill of divorcement. And what they were doing is they were hiding the heart of adultery behind the law of divorce. They're saying, I've got a bill of divorce, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to go get a new wife now. And they're just passing out the bills of divorcement every which way. And Jesus said, stop. You're making void the law of God by your traditions. You're emptying it out because the law wanted to do more than just get you to stay in the marriage. When we look at the, 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 the idea of Corbin, Corbin is in uh, Mark chapter 7. The word means committed to God or given to God. And what they would do is a man would have inheritance, and instead of wanting to take care of mom and dad in their old age, he would take his money that he had and say, oh, no, I've committed this to God. So I'm sorry, Dad, I can't buy you a cheeseburger. I've already committed that money to God. And so, Dad, you're out in the cold. I'm not going to feed you because I've committed this money to God. And he said, you're taking what God said to care and honor for your mother and father, and now you're taking a law that is extra biblical, and you're using it to void the law of God. And so they were hiding behind the law of God to keep the actual law from doing its work, man's traditions of the law. See, the greatest problem with these traditions and men's words that are added to the law of God is not that they demanded too much from men. Don't get the idea that somehow or another the burdens they were laying on them were too much in every aspect. They were not adding too much, but rather they were limiting the scope of the law and they were telling God where he didn't have a right to go. God, you can have my hands, you can have my Sunday morning, but you can't have my heart. You can't get here, you can't deal with this. And the law was supposed to come down deep inside and penetrate to the heart of God. And when Jesus talks about purity, he said, hey, you heard it said not to commit adultery. But I say unto you, if a man looks at a woman and lusts at her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you hate a man, you've murdered already in your heart. And the problem with a legalistic definition of the Old Testament laws is they stayed on the exterior. They never went down into the heart of those people and they were missing the point. They never stood condemned before God. As a matter of fact, they stood congratulated, self-congratulated before themselves. You see, the traditions of man did not make too much of the law, but rather they made the law void or empty. When man takes God's law and interprets them to mean only the exterior of men only, it is robbing man of the full weight of that law and never lets them see themselves fully before the law. They never get the full picture. 
So this scribe is sitting here listening to Jesus, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the scribe hears him, and it's, it's just interesting and almost humorous to hear his response in verse number 32. And when the scribe said unto him, um, well said, you did good. I'm going to give you an A plus on that one, Jesus. I mean, you did really good answering me. I'm glad you're on our team. And he thinks there's this political decision or this theological discussion that Jesus has answered well. He kind of pats him on the back and congratulates him. And he said, there is one God. And then he reiterates the law, maybe to show that he knows it. And he comes and he says, you've said well. Religion fails men because what it does is it tends to exchange the real and the spiritual with the ceremonial and the external. And it takes the relationship and puts it into rules. In short, we exchange being for doing. We're no longer being what we should be. We're just interested in doing what we should do. You see, the call of the law is not to conform the exterior, but to expose the need for the transformation of me all the way down to my heart. Not just to fix it. And here's something this morning, and, and my, 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 if God knows my heart this morning, and he does, I, I want so bad for you to get this in your mind. And, and listen to this. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this. The gospel is not behavioral modification. God did not send Jesus down to help you do better. Hear that and hear it well. He did not come to help you do better. He came to transform your complete nature that you would be something that you cannot be on your own. He wants to change you from the inside out. And if I gave you a list of Christian rules, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this, and you left today, you would leave feeling really good about yourself until Tuesday. And then we would feel the weight of the fact that we can't live up to those things. And we need another pick-me-up. And we would fall short of the gospel. And so we see this heavy, heavy statement. You know, it is true to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself is greater than all the sacrifices. It's the greatest commandment, better than all the commandments. But this man had never stopped to consider if he could obey the command. Can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your might? Can you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you have the capacity to do that? When we stand before a holy God one day, and he holds that up as the standard before us, we're all going to have to look at him and say, I didn't. I failed. I didn't love my neighbor as myself. I saw them calling and I knew they were going to be a nuisance and I didn't answer the phone. Don't look at me like that. I know three of you. I was the one calling and you didn't answer. I'm teasing. So, the, the fact is, you, you, we know we do it because it's an inconvenience and, and we, we struggle how to love as Christ would love, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. He never asked the question, could he obey it? You see, if we could look clearly at the law, we would fall down in humble cry of worship. God does not want me to be something 
He wants me to be something rather, not do something. But I can't be what I'm supposed to be. I will never be loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, strength. I will never be loving my neighbor as myself in my fallen state. Can never do that on my own. And so he says to this man, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now, let me make something very clear this morning. The question is not, do you know the doctrine of the gospel? That's not the question. Because I think if we were to define the gospel this morning, most could do pretty well defining it. If you could not this morning, we would say that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of man. And it is by grace, through faith, plus nothing. And we would look at that and we could define that clearly. And you know those facts. The question is not, do you know the doctrine of the gospel? The question this morning is, do you have the nature of Christ living inside of you? Have you been born again? Have you been made a new creature in Christ? And this morning, if you can quote all the scripture verses and you know all the doctrinal positions, but you've been never been made a new creature in Christ, then you have come near the kingdom of God or you are not far from the kingdom of God. But here's the, the horrible reality is that one step outside of the kingdom is still condemned. One step away from the gospel is still away from the gospel. And you do not measure those steps by inches. You measure them by eternity. This has to set on us this morning. This has to be the reality of where we stand. Is that the gospel is not a trivial thing that we make some mental assent to. But it is a transformation from the inside that only the Holy Spirit of God does in response to faith. And it is an amazing miracle. Because here's the reality. I don't comprehend how that works. How do you take somebody who's an enemy of God and make him a child of God? Well, here's the reality. We don't. The Spirit of God does. He calls them to himself. He transforms them. So we cannot love in this way. Our current state, fallen in sin... Apart from the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of us, we have no hope of loving in this way. And even when we see this truth, we can't solve the problem on our own. Only Christ can solve the problem. How do you get in the kingdom of God? Well, we've, we've studied that already, if you remember, a few months back. Mark 10, 5, except you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what do we talk about that little child coming in is that he had no standing, he had no position, he had no power, he had no access, but he had humble faith to come, understanding that he had no position and no standing and no access, and he comes in humble faith and God welcomes him in. And then what does he say to the rich man? It's harder for, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it hard for a rich man to go in? Because he has standing, and he has power, and he has position, and he has influence, and those things have to be set aside if we would come into the kingdom of God and say, I can't do it. There's nothing of me that can earn salvation. There is nothing of me that can merit salvation, and I fall humbly before the God of salvation, and he has to do the work in me. I'm glad to say this morning, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If God would move you this morning to respond in humble faith, he will save you where you are, and he will make you a new creature in Christ. 
And this is the mystery. First off, why he would want to save us. And yet that he does save us and calls us to himself. And so seeing the problem is not addressing the problem. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're still on the outside. Now, in the time we have left, I I want you to see this next little section of Scripture. And we will not do it all justice, but I, I just want you to get a picture of it. Jesus goes on to teach. Verse number 35, and Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? Now, let me de-Christianize you for a minute as you read this, okay? And you say, well, pastor's trying to make me not a Christian. I'm just trying to get you not to read this in Christianese. When he says Christ, we immediately join what name with the word Christ? When they read this, they didn't join it. When they heard this, they were not connected. Jesus was not considered the Christ to them. Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son. And Jesus is asking them about prophecies about himself that they didn't connect with him yet. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, hold on a second, I got a question for you guys. And it's still in the same vein. And he says, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? To me, the son of David, what is he talking about? He's talking about Son of David, the the Christ, the anointed one that would come and be the hope of Israel, that would set upon a throne and would rule and reign and would set right all that was wrong. And it was what they were looking for. They were looking for this offspring of David that would come and rule and be their deliverer. How do they say he's the son of David? Verse number 36, and he quotes the Old Testament. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost. And by the way, isn't it interesting here that Jesus even affirms the inspiration of the Old Testament? Side note, that was free. Here we go. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. Whence is he then his son? The common people heard him gladly. And Jesus lets this question hang. He just leaves it out there. He said, hold on a second. So which one is it? Is David, or is is the Christ, the son of David, the hope of Israel, the coming king, the coming Messiah, or is he David's Lord that gave David the throne, gave Israel its name, called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, spoke to Moses out of the bush, which one is he? Is he the beginning or is he the end? He's asking this question, and he's asking the same question that Revelation answers for it, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is both the root and the offspring of David. He is both the foundation and the culmination. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the one that set David on his throne, and he's the one, by God's grace, that will raise him from the dead one day. And that's what he's pointing them to. And what he's saying is, for us, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, you don't have to turn there. Here's what he's saying. How can we love with all of our soul and our mind and our strength? How can we love our neighbor as ourselves? He that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have of living any of this out. And by the way, salvation is not he got us started. But he walks with us every day. And it is his saving grace that is working in me 
daily to produce the nature of Christ. And I'm glad to say that he's promised this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I rest in that promise this morning that there is a new nature. So here's this morning. God made us to be something, not just to do something. When he transforms us, it changes how we love. When we are walking in his spirit, we can love freely, we can live generously, we can live sacrificially, we can even answer the phone when that person calls. But it's only by God's grace that we do it. Will we fail? Oh, we'll come up short. But aren't you glad that there was one who loved perfectly? God, with all of his soul, his mind, and his strength, and loved his neighbor perfectly as he loved himself. Because we even have testimony in Scripture, don't we? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friend. Too often we're walking around saying, if God said, am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus came and said, he is my Lord, I love him dearly, and I'm going to love my neighbors myself by laying down my life. And now, because of the regeneration, his spirit lives within us. That's the only way, folks, that you're going to love the unlovely. Let me stop. That's the only way you're going to love your spouse. Because here's the reality, and I, I say this often to young couples before they get married. I'm like, man, you see how pretty she is right now? I'm going to prophesy. You're going to be mad at her one day. You're going to be mad enough to spit nails one day. And you see how handsome you think he is? You're going to be wishing you could tie him up in a bed sheet and beat him with a frying pan. You're going you're to be angry with him. And it is only God's abiding grace that allows us to love one another. And by the way, across the aisle at the church, across the city, across cultural bounds, the only way we're going to love this way is if Christ loves through us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sufficiency of it. And what I pray, Father, that you would take these few moments that we've shared together today, challenge us. Father, help us, Lord, to call on you in humble dependence. And what I pray, Father, if there be one today that's under the sound of my voice, that they're almost into the kingdom. Father, they're not far from the kingdom. That, Father, today in the faith of a little child, they would call on you. And that, Father, you, by according to your words, that you will save them. You will transform them. You will make them one of your own. Holy Spirit of God, do a work that we cannot do. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Let's stand.